You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.thewellhastings.com. Open up to Luke 2, 21 through 38. This is where we'll be this morning. Talks about Jesus being presented at the temple. Before I continue, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you today that uh, you've given me the opportunity to come up here and preach a message about Jesus being presented at the temple. Um, God, uh, as I get to preach, just uh, pray that the, the words that I say um, is, is heard among the rest of the people. Um, God, as, as uh, we dig into this, um, just uh, open up people's minds and their hearts as it did mine and, and kind of made me think even where I was in my life. So God, I thank you for the opportunity and uh, the ability to get up here and, and preach. In your name I pray, amen. One other thing before I continue, the reason why I'm up here and Joe isn't is because Pastor Joe is off in Cairo preaching today. That church that he is preaching at supports our church at $3,000 a year. So that's a nice chunk of change. He figured he should go up there and preach a couple times. So that is why I am up here. Is everybody to Luke 2, 22 through 38? Sorry, 22, not 21. All right, I'm going to read it real quick, and then we'll jump into the different things. And when, he, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him, blessed God, saying, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearers may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 88. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began giving thanks to God to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem." As I was sitting here studying this, I was trying to figure out what I could preach on. And I noticed there was actually three different stories compacted into this section of about 19 verses or so. The story one is from Luke 21 through 24. 
I'm going to share a story about the crud war. Has anybody had a crud war at camp, at anything? It's always fun. It's a blast. It starts out real simple. They give you a little cup and some water. And you line up on two different sides with the entire camp. And there's like 300 kids out there and they're all being crazy. And you guys all run up to each other and splash a little water on you. That's pretty easy. If you're done with the water, you can dry off. It's not a big deal. But then they get to something else. They get like flour. And then the flour sticks to you. And then they decide to give you some pancake batter. And then they run up and they throw the pancake batter on you and they get it in your hair and your hair's all standing on end. And it's disgusting. I got some cake batter slapped into my eyeball when I was playing. I could feel the grit of the, of the, the uh, sugar. As I would close my eyes, I could feel the grits of the sugar going on me. It was disgusting. And then they'd give you shaving cream. Run around with that. You ever got shaving cream in your eyeball? That stings. Not fun. Most girls probably don't know that because they don't use shaving cream around their eyeballs. I haven't done that from getting shaving cream from shaving. But... And then they decide, hey, you know what? The next item that we're going to give you is like pizza sauce. And so then you run up and you throw pizza sauce on everybody. And by the end of it, you're all covered in this like disgusting buck that if you had it individually, you could eat probably, but not all on you. And then afterwards... You get done and they're like, oh yeah, now you get 10 seconds in the lake to clean off. So you run into the lake and you're like scrubbing away, scrubbing, 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 trying to get clean. And they're like, okay, you guys are all out. And you start walking out and you're like, oh, I still feel disgusting. I got now not only shaving cream and I've got cake batter in my eyeball, I've now got pond water all over me. And this is disgusting. Another one of the stories I have is this uh, two years ago when I was out in Colorado, I got volunteered as a leader to, to stand up at, during a skit, not knowing what was going to happen. They said I was going to get some kind of pie to the face. And if you talk to me afterwards, I got the picture where I'm actually getting the pie in my face at that exact moment. They were supposed to get the person in front of me, and instead she moved, and I got it. And I'm like, ah, like that. I got shaving cream pie to the face. It was all over, on my glasses and everything. And at the time, I had a mohawk, and it was blue. And I had just dyed it like three days before, and I was like so excited because I had a blue mohawk. And I, you know, I now had shaving cream, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I can like spike my hair because it's shaving cream. So I go over to the sink at this camp and start washing my hair and my face, trying to get the shaving cream off. That's where I found out shaving cream burns if you get in your eye. So I'm sitting there in the sink, and I'm washing my hair, washing my hair, and I open up my eyeballs because I finally got the shaving cream out, and I look in the sink, and the entire sink is blue. Shaving cream will take out hair dye fast. And so I'm like, oh, no, my shaving cream and my hair and all that stuff, and I'm freaking out, thinking that I'm no longer, like, having a blue mohawk. It turned gray on me. It was bad. I looked like an old man with a mohawk. I end up going to this other game after this, and I'm sitting there, and somebody's like, hey, Brandon, you still have shaving cream in your ear. And I'm like, oh, gross. I thought I got it all. And they're like, hey, Brandon, you got some in your other ear. And I'm like sitting there messing around with my other ear. And I'm like, yeah, sure enough, there is. And there was still some shaving cream in my hair, and it was disgusting. Well, I'm telling you all this because that's what this purification stuff was for. Every year, you had to go to the temple to make yourself right with God, to make yourself pure. 
And the moment you walked out of that, you were pure for a time, but then you ended up sinning again. And so then you had to go back to the temple and get pure. And if you didn't, you had to continue to think you were doing right by doing your own thing, trying to get pure. That's just like jumping in that lake, trying to feel like I was pure. I didn't feel pure afterwards. I still felt dirty. I was cleaner, but I was still dirty because I had pond water and I still had pizza sauce and cake batter in my eye. Purification without Christ doesn't work. And that's the problem that we have, is that without him, it doesn't work. Christ will have to continue to cleanse our, without Christ, we have to continue to cleanse ourselves, being hopelessly lost, trying to please God. Even after, when I was in Michigan, had that, that crud war, I went back to the shower and showered some more, and it was still disgusting. And I got done after that, and I had to take one later that night because I still felt disgusting from the crud war. And this is what Mary and Joseph were doing that day. They were coming to make themselves right standing with God. They were making themselves righteous to God. The book of Leviticus tells us how to be righteous in the eyes of the Lord. It's a big, long book full of laws. If you get into it, it's kind of interesting. For some of us, it's dry. I like it because it's kind of neat to tell you all the different grain offerings and the harvest offering and, and what you're supposed to do when you start to build a building and things like that. All the rules, though, and the laws to be followed in that book are impossible. You can't do that on your own. In fact, we can't even follow our own government laws. How many of us, you know, rolled through a stop sign today or sped or went through that yellow light that we could have stopped at instead, but, you know, we were racing here or something like, you know, how many of us changed lanes without signaling? We've got names for, for some of those that try to follow the letter of the law and everything, being legalistic. It drives me up a wall when that person is driving in a left lane of a two-lane highway or a four-lane highway, and they're driving the speed limit. We're just under. It's 65 and they're driving 64. If some of you guys have ridden with me, you know that that's where my maniac side comes out. Somebody that's always driving faster is a maniac, and the person driving slower is an idiot, if you've ever noticed that. And I'm always the maniac, because I'm like, oh, let's get there. You know, speed limit's 65, I want to do 70. But then it's scary, because sometimes there's a guy that comes by, by me doing 80, and I'm like, that guy's a maniac. You know, but I'm okay, because I'm over in the right lane, letting him pass. Back in that day when Jesus was around, the name for that was Pharisee. They were trying to follow the letter of the law and couldn't. And Jesus called them out on it many times. But just because you're legalistic or because you're, you're purifying yourself or because you have Jesus doesn't mean that you can keep on sinning or breaking the law. Paul says in Romans 6.12, it says, Let sin therefore reign in your mortal body no more to make it obey your passions. Paul says, once you have Jesus, you're not supposed to keep sinning. You don't have to keep purifying yourself because you keep sinning. Mary and Joseph are following what Leviticus 12, 6 through 8 is. This is where we're kind of seeing that mash of the Old Testament still with the New Testament. We are in the New Testament. We're seeing some of the customs of the Old Testament. Mary and Joseph were following what Leviticus 6, 12, 6 through 8 says. And when the days of purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring the priest to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. A lamb 
a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before them, before the Lord, and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood, and this is a law for her, for her who bears a child, either male or female. And she, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. She didn't have to do this because Jesus was perfect. But even in her unbelief, it took her almost 33 years to figure out who Jesus was. Even after being told that he was the Christ coming to save the world, as Pastor Joe said last week. This little section right here also shows us how poor Mary and Joseph were. They couldn't afford a lamb. But God provides ways for people that are poor to still be right standing. They were able to take two pigeons or turtle doves. This shows us just how poor of a family our King Jesus was born into. Last week we learned that he was born in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. Of all the hotels and places to stay in Bethlehem, there wasn't a place. And so they had to stay in this, in this place where there was, there was oxen and there was, there was sheep and chickens. It shows us just how poor Jesus was born into, the fact that his parents couldn't even afford this. And look at how lucky some of us are. We have shoes on our feet and we have clothes on our back and a house over our head, and yet we still complain. The second story that I see in this text comes out of Luke 25 through 35. Simeon sees the Christ. He was excited, just like I'm excited. When we go to a road trip, we get to go, I remember being as a child going to Yellowstone, getting up bright and early in the morning and driving all day to get to go to the Yellowstone or the Rocky Mountains. As I've gotten older, some of my excitement has changed. Some of you guys know who my favorite band is. I won't name them. See, everybody knows. We went to a concert a couple weeks ago, and that was all I could talk about leading up to it, was going to that concert. Everybody else was talking about the other bands, and I was like, oh, no, I don't care about the other bands. I'm excited to see my favorite band. That's the excitement that, that Simeon had in being able to meet the Christ. Simeon was a righteous and devout man. He was prophesied over as a younger, uh, a younger man saying that he was, going to have, he was going to have the Holy Spirit on him and he was not going to see death until he had seen the Christ. How cool would that be to have that kind of prophecy? Meaning that at that point you could do whatever you wanted because you weren't going to see death until Jesus showed up. Instead, he decided that he was going to follow what the Holy Spirit said and he was going to live a devout life waiting for Jesus. Simeon chose to continue following God's commands and the Holy Spirit was with him. If you were a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on you or inside of you. This man, Simeon, is in some pretty good company to have the Holy Spirit on him. We're going to go through a few of the other more famous people that have uh, the Holy Spirit on him. You guys hear of a man named Samson? It says twice in Judges 14 that the Holy Spirit rushed on him. 
and he was able to slaughter the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he was able to, you know, take over this town using foxes or whatever. It's something like that. Go back and read it. It's amazing. There's a whole bunch of stories about him, what he does. You guys hear of a man named Moses? He seems pretty famous. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He had him and 70 elders of Israel. After he crossed the, after he crossed the Red Sea, he had a spirit on him. It says so in Numbers 11, 17. You guys hear of a man named Gideon? Gideon led 300 men into battle. He had the spirit on him. It was in Judges 6, 34. David. Who's David? David, he's the guy that killed Goliath. He had the Holy Spirit on him in Psalm 51, 11. We also learn a few chapters later in the book of Luke that the Holy Spirit was on Jesus when he was baptized. I'd say Simeon was in some pretty good company to have the Holy Spirit on him. Simeon chose to live a life holy, live a, a holy life and to be excited about the coming of this Christ. After seeing and blessing the Jesus, uh, after seeing and blessing uh, Christ Jesus, Simeon was now ready to die. He then prophecies about himself and Jesus. This prophecy or song title is in Latin. It's called Nunic Dimittis, which means now you are dismissing. This man, Simeon, was sitting at his post waiting patiently for the Lord to show up. It's like that guard post that stands at the gate and only allows those certain people to enter. It's like when the master leaves and comes back, that person standing there is waiting for that person to come back. And when he sees him, he gets excited because he knows that his time is about done. He can then be relieved. Simeon starts out with this saying, Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That was what was said earlier in, his, in the prophecy that Jesus was going to be, that he was not going to see death until Jesus was there. Simeon's faith in Jesus is that he isn't afraid of death. He's like, now you're letting me go. I can now die peacefully. Anyone who has seen or been excited about and kept the faith in Jesus isn't afraid of death. I haven't seen Jesus, but I've experienced him. I'm excited about him, and I'm not afraid of death. In fact, I've told my brother, I said, when I die, he gets a lot, all of my stuff. And I said, with all the insurance stuff, I said, you got to put a concert on for me at my funeral, after my funeral. I'm excited for death because then I get to see Jesus. Simeon got to see Jesus, dies, and then he's going to go see Jesus again. He's one of the few people that has been able to see Jesus, die, and then see him again. I don't have that opportunity. I'll die and then I'll see Jesus unless he comes back before I die. Simeon does two prophecies in this text. The first one was that he's now letting his servant depart in peace. He then, tells his, he then tells Jesus' mother, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This was to show that Jesus was going to suffer to bring salvation. Jesus was going to be nailed to a cross. He was also going to be appointed for the rising and falling of many. People in Israel were going to fall because of him. People were going to rise because of him. 
He was also going to be a light to the Gentiles. Because of this prophecy, it was to prepare Mary for that coming time when he was going to be hung on that cross, for that crucifixion. It was prepping Mary so that, that way she knew what was coming. It took her 33 years to finally realize who her son really was. She had to be, see him hanging on that cross to realize he was who God said he was. From the beginning of both the world and of Jesus' birth, God has a, had a mission for Jesus to die on that cross. You look back in uh, Genesis at the fall of man. God talks about the serpent rising up to strike the heel of the man and the man turning around and crushing the serpent's head. That was a prophecy saying that Jesus was going to come and crush Satan and crush evil. And then this part right here was also the prophecy saying that Jesus is going to rise and fall for the many. The third story in this text that I see is out of Luke 2, 36 through 38. It talks about this prophet, prophetess, Anna. Anna didn't leave the temple. She was always at the temple praising, worshiping, praying and fasting all day and all night, all the time. I'm glad that we had a bye week this week for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We need that. And that's a team I absolutely love cheering on. Some of you guys were with me last week and seen how excited and how emotional I got watching the Huskers almost come back and beat Michigan State. I was cheering on my favorite sports team, because I have a passion for them, because I want to see them win. I want to see them do well. Why can't we have some of those like that with, with Jesus, with God, having that passion, that excitement, that wanting all the time to do that? There are some people that can name off the entire starting lineup of the Cornhuskers or even the Royals in baseball. I can't because I don't invest that much time into that. Depending on where you invest your time will be probably where you're cheering on what you're cheering on. I'm involved in NASCAR. As you guys learned, I'm going to be bringing a steering wheel for the men's group because I like racing. I can tell you just about every driver out there because I invest some of my time in that. Why don't we invest as much time into the Bible as we do our sports teams, our news, Things like that. Anna didn't leave the temple. She was there all the time, worshiping and praising Jesus, praising God, waiting for Jesus to come. I'm going to name off a few people that spoke from God, was a prophet or prophetess, probably a prophet. We have Samuel, we have Nathan, we have Isaiah, we have Jonah. We have Jeremiah, we have Ezekiel, we have Daniel, we have Elijah, and then we have to throw in Elisha there too. Those two are the kind of dynamic duo. There's more, but all those that I just named off are men. Anna was in a unique position at this point because she was a prophetess. She was a woman. This is rare. The Jews 
only considered seven prophetess, prophetesses in the Old Testament, one of them being Deborah. And then you get into the New Testament, there was a few more, Anna being one of them. This shows us that women are important. There are people that will say the Bible is degrading towards women, that they're inferior and that they don't know what they're talking about and that they should be quiet because they only read a few verses out of this. There are many times where women are portrayed in the Bible being good. This is one part. Moses' sister, Miriam, is also one. The three Marys that ran to Jesus' tomb is another three. In that culture, they shouldn't have been named first. In this culture that, that Luke was writing in, he should have left that out, but it's important. Anna was a steady person in life. It says that she was married when she was a virgin. She was married for seven years, and then her husband died because God called her to a life to live in the temple. She lived to be 88 years old, she may have lived to be 100, I don't know. But when she got married, and then from that point on, after her husband died, she was in the temple, praising God, worshiping. She was a steady person. Straight down the path. Her life was all about God and the coming of Messiah, Jesus. Because she spent so much time in that temple, she heard what, what Simeon was talking about, I'm not going to see death until I see Jesus. And I don't think he was bragging about that. I think he was trying to tell the whole world, I get to see Jesus before I die. And Anna knew that by being around him. And when she finally got to see Jesus, I don't know what prompted her, but it says that she, coming up at that very hour, she must have been away getting some food or something. She comes up seeing that, you know, Simeon's there going, I have the baby and I'm prophesying over this baby. She knew at that point that it was Jesus. And when she finally got to see Jesus, she gave thanks to God, and she had to share it with everyone. Just like last week when the angels shared the good news to the shepherds, and they had to go share it with everyone, Anna was sharing the good news, the gospel, with everyone that she could tell it to. She was excited and she was also steady in her life as where she was supposed to go. She knew when she seen Jesus, she was excited and she started worshiping him. I'd like to invite the band back up. <clears throat> in conclusion of this, I have three stage questions Three life stage questions for you to think about where you are. First one is this. Are you living your life still according to your own will, only coming to Jesus when you need him, offering him sacrifices on a yearly basis or on a monthly basis, whenever it's convenient for you? Are you trying so hard to follow the letter of the law of the land and failing miserably? 
Are you trying to cleanse yourself by jumping in that lake after that crud war? Come to Jesus. It won't be easy. He'll probably bring up some more nasty stuff in your life. Really wiped away. Number two stage. Are you like Simeon? Excited to see Jesus? Maybe this is your first time hearing about Jesus. Maybe it's your 200th time. Maybe it's your thousandth time hearing about Jesus. And something is making you excited about Jesus. That's good. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it afterwards. I'm excited to see Jesus every day of my life and what he's doing in other people's lives. There's many things that I have screwed up on and I'm seeing progress towards in my life. And I'm excited to see Jesus. I'm excited to meet him every day. There's something about that, that when you, when you meet Jesus, you've got to share it with everybody. And I enjoy doing that. The other part of this thing is, number three, are you guys living out your faith in Jesus like Anna, being that steady person? Right down that path, straight. Her life was all about Jesus and his coming. Are you like Anna, always praying, worshiping, praising, and fasting? This is where the, where the rubber meets the road of Christianity. You can be excited about Jesus, but then are you doing it? It's just like having a car. You can get in it, be all excited about it, talk about it, but you've got to start that engine, you've got to put it in drive to go somewhere. That's where that faith and that walk is. I can talk all I want about Jesus, but if I'm not living it and I'm not walking it, it doesn't mean a thing. I want to live out my life like Anna did. And I want you guys to live out your lives like Anna did. I want you guys to be excited every day like Simeon, waiting for Jesus. And I want you guys to live out your faith like Anna did. Steady. Just going down that path toward Jesus. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to dive off a little bit and you're going to come back and that's okay. Go down that path though. Paul said that it's not, it's not a sprint race, it's a marathon. It's going to take a long time to go there. I plan on being here until I'm 100. I think that'll be exciting. But then I probably won't have Red Bill play at my funeral. But I want to be excited as I am today, as when I'm 100. And I want to be walking that path like Anna did today when I am 100. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that there are people in this church that are excited to, to see you. 
God, as, as there's people in this church that may not know you, I pray that you give them that opportunity to be excited. And as we are able to live in that excitement, I pray that we also transition over to that steadiness that Anna had. They were able to walk down that path. God, I thank you that, that there are many brothers and sisters around me that have been able to walk with me in life and I've gotten to see them grow and they've seen me grow walking down that path. God, I thank you for everything you've done. In your name I pray, amen. You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.thewellhastings.com.